Christmas, everyone. Um, come here. This is called a sweatshirt, not a sweater. This is called a button-up shirt, not either. This is more festive than, than red? a red sweatshirt. So, and I have plenty of real sweatshirts. They just don't fit me anymore. I heard they wrapped Jesus in a red sweatshirt in the manger. Junior church, you are dismissed. Four years old through fourth grade to walk. You are heading over to a Christmas party, a birthday party for Jesus. I am so glad to see all these... Oh, there was a glare? Okay. That's just awkward. Thank you. Um, okay. So, so excited to see all these Christmas sweaters. I actually went shopping trying to find one, and um, I couldn't find one. So I went with the Christmas tie, um, which is still better than a sweatshirt. Make sure you tell Dustin that. Um, I want to start today with John four twenty three. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him this way. There's one Christmas I really remember vividly, uh, back when I was living in Wyoming. It was Christmas Eve, and most kids are like this. When it's Christmas Eve, what do you want to do? You want to open up just one present. And we begged and begged, and our parents finally relented and, and let us open up a gift, and, and we oohed and awed over that. And so what's the first thing you do after you open one gift on Christmas Eve? You ask, can I open another? Just can I? And my parents said, yes. First time in all of history. And so my brother and I didn't hesitate. We went and grabbed the next gift, opened it up. Let's press our luck again. Can we open up another? Sure. And so we blew through all the presents, and by about 6.30, 7 o'clock that night, all the presents are open. The floor is littered with all the wrapping paper. We're looking around, and then I was like, what are we going to open tomorrow? And this incredible sadness came over me because we just ruined Christmas. And then Mom and Dad turned and said, go pack your bags. We're going to Grandma's. And so we drove a six, five to six-hour drive that night. I went to my grandma's, grandma and grandpa's down in Colorado, and it was so exciting. Christmas that night was really about to see the family, not the gifts that we opened early. Christmas is this Saturday. Um, it is this week. If you haven't finished shopping, you're almost out of time, okay? and the stores are almost empty. Because it is Saturday, people will be faced with decisions whether Sunday worship is going to be a matter of convenience or cost. There's going to be a lot of things happening on Friday and Saturday, and Sunday morning people are going to, let's be honest, and go, I just don't want to go. Several years back, a lifestyle management consultant surveyed about 1,000 people about how they prepared for Christmas. And when I read this, I wondered how much of this applied to us. 
The average person spent up to an hour and ten minutes a day during the last week of December arguing over holiday plans. An hour and ten minutes a day arguing. Um, that was talking about which parties or fam family or friends to go see. People spent less than 17 minutes planning holiday purchases. They spent six hours shopping for them and usually went to the, the same store three times for that gift. Well, that's not very festive. Um, they spent seven and a half hours baking and preparing for holiday meals while, what's this say? Six to seven hours devoted in its enjoyment. So you're spending more time preparing than you are enjoying it. But this is probably the most tragic, I thought. Um, the average parent spent nine minutes on Christmas Day playing with their child. You just got them a whole bunch of gifts, and you forgot the batteries, but yet you only spent nine minutes. Lots of stores have been preparing for Christmas ever since Halloween or even before. Many businesses are preparing for Christmas by planning parties or deciding when they're going to have to shut down for a while. Families prepare by decorating their homes with the trees and the lights and the festive garlands. Some folks even go so far to light up all their roofs and their yards with these different decorations. But this year, some churches, some Christians, are facing a very difficult dilemma. Because this year, as I said, Christmas falls on Saturday. The only thing worse, according to some people, is if Christmas were to land on Sunday itself. There's a blog I just read this week. If Christmas falls on a Sunday, will your church do anything different on that Sunday to accommodate families in your fellowship? The whole idea is, should we cancel Sunday morning service on Christmas so people can have Christmas at home? Um, one guy said, we're having, we're not having any services on Sunday the 25th. We are shifting to Friday the 23rd. And we're going to have what we call a Christmas worship extra palooza. We're having skits, dancing, people, and an I-band. They're not even going to have a real band. They're just playing it on an iPad. Uh, traditional hymns, special music, and the silent monks along with the Christmas message. The silent monks, that's something you got to hear. A lot of the... I need a better laugh than that, Bella. A lot of the comments on this whole service were either they're not going to go or they shouldn't have to go on if Christmas is a Saturday or Sunday. They didn't want to make people feel obligated to go to Christmas service if Christmas was that day. There are reasons churches might consider changing or canceling Christmas service. They're worried that people won't show up, or they realize maybe our members have different priorities than actually coming to church. Maybe some of those leaders wanted to do something else, and so they canceled. And the comments on that site went back and forth, and it turned into a divisive argument. What a way to celebrate Christmas, I thought. Now, I could possibly see their arguments. This is how I came to it. If, if they didn't meet on Sundays that were also on July 4th, Memorial Day or Mother's Day, we'll cancel them for those, but that doesn't seem like so. 
So my question, I want, after reading all that blog and looking at all this, I've got a kind of a pointed question I want all of us to think about. How do you plan on what you're doing the morning after Christmas this year? Christmas is Saturday. So what are you doing the next day? This year, our Christmas series is called Becoming Gift Givers. We've seen the gift of giving the gift of obedience to God, uh, which involves faith and trust. We saw how we can give God the gift of recognition, which includes confessing who Christ is to us and repenting of our sins. Last week, we looked at the gift of giving God giving God the gift of joy by giving God our lives in baptism. And all of these gifts... They're not free. Gifts, good gifts, are not randomly found on the side of the road. There was one day I did, I actually did this. I was driving home and I saw a toy lightsaber on the side of the road. And so I stopped, picked that up, and gave it to my son. He thought I was the best dad in the world. It had been run over a couple of times. I had to clean it, but um, I gave him a lightsaber. Good gifts aren't usually found on the side of the road. One person said that the message of Christmas was not convenient. The whole message of Christmas isn't convenient, but it was very costly. It cost Mary and Joseph the comforts of home as they traveled a long journey to Bethlehem while she was very pregnant. It cost the shepherds their comfort by the campfire and the ease of their shepherd's life by answering the call and running to the manger. And then it cost them their reputation by going and telling everybody they could about this good news. It cost the wise men a very long and expensive journey that changed their life. Christmas is expensive, and good gifts are expensive. We're going to look at probably the most famous passage about the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to just read this whole section here. And look at the gifts that are given in this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them at the time that the star first appeared. And he told them, Go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the, and the star they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. These wise men, the Magi, are surrounded by mystery. I've heard so many lessons and and sermons on this, 
But honestly, we don't know much about them. We don't know how many wise men there were. A lot of people will say there's three. But we only say there's three because there was three mentioned gifts. But the scripture doesn't tell us how many. We don't know what lands they actually came from. They come from what lands? Eastern. That's all the scripture says. Some people, well, it came from Orient. No, that's from a song. That's not from scripture. And we don't know their names. There are some people who say, well, I know their names. Well, that comes from tradition. That doesn't come from scripture. What we do know, though, what we can see about these wise men is going to help us become gift givers to God. We're going to talk about giving God the gift of worship. We've all heard that we need to worship God. There are many reasons in the Bible that show us why God is worthy of our worship. And yet many times we cheapen what we call worship. People call the church building, this is the house of worship or God's house. It's not. I am. Because God lives here. This is a building dedicated for the corporate joining of God's people to worship. But this building isn't holier than anything else. This is a building. We've called the time that we sing songs the worship time. And yet, throughout Scripture, worship doesn't always include just singing. Worship is much more. In the 80s and 90s, many churches had worship wars. Battles between the hymns and the choruses. And it lowered our understanding of what worship really is. If you came here to worship thinking only about how the songs would affect you, if you came here for worship believing that the rest of our time together was separated from worship, then you have robbed God of worship. If you are waiting to feel the worship, then you're not worshiping God. What we need to do is ask these questions. How do you define worship or what really is worship? Most people will say it's songs, but it is so much more. The wise men came to teach us what it means to give God the gift of worship. They came for a specific purpose, was to give God this gift of worship. Notice the nature of the journey they took. We know that the word magi, where we get these wise men, is actually comes from the same word we get magic. There were magicians in that time. Those days, it didn't mean somebody who pulled out a rabbit of a hat, though. <coughs> Excuse me. It was somebody back then, a magician was somebody who knew the old ways and had a deep understanding of the past. There's ancient tradition that believed uh, that these magi actually date all the way back to the Old Testament where Daniel taught the people in Babylon. And these guys became this order of scholars who had deep understanding. Now, we don't know if that's true, that's tradition, but it'd be really interesting to see if that does happen. Um, can you imagine, I, I just, when you're going to the store, when you're going somewhere, I, I want to know how many of you are like me. So when we're going somewhere, I want to know the direct route. I want to know the quickest way to get there. On the way home, I don't mind if we're going to take a little more scenic, 
But if I'm going on vacation, I want to get to the destination. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know where the gas stations are, the restaurants are, and the rest stops are. I just want to know these things so that I am prepared for all of it. Uh, How many of you are like that? Five. The rest of you make me crazy. None of my family raised their hand. Imagine these wise men. They're getting ready for this long journey. We don't know how many there are, but we know it's a long journey. They came from eastern lands. And they're coming up, and you walk up to these guys as they're packing the camel, and and you say, where are you going? I don't know. Well, how long are you going to be there? I have no idea. Who are you going to see? Some kid. Well, what are you going to do there? We'll, We'll worship him. Why? I don't know. There is so much that these guys didn't know. And it seems for wise men, they weren't really smart, were they? It it seems like he was messed up. All they had was there is a sign from God that the new king, the real king of Israel, had been born. They had no other information. They didn't know where to go except to follow the sign. And they were willing to go on this expensive journey. A very dangerous journey, a long and difficult journey, all for the purpose of worshiping God. This is an extraordinary step of faith, kind of like Abraham. God told Abraham to go, go where? To the land I'll show you, not the one I already showed. So Abraham had to go on a journey to wherever. He just had to follow the signs of God. And God blessed all the nations of the world through him. Because of Abraham, because of him following that, it started this process of God's promises in which the lineage of Christ is born. And so with that, we need to understand this. If you are going to worship God, it starts, it begins with a step of faith. The wise men had to take a step of faith by actually leaving their comfort, their home, their stability, their Security. You may not even know anything about God. But as you take the step of faith and worship him in spirit and truth, in the process, you're going to learn a whole lot about who God is. Faith and worship is not based on where you put your hands. Some worship leaders say that if you don't put your hands in worship positions. So I was raised in a church that you don't put your hands up because that's calling attention to you. You had to keep your hands down by your side so that you look like a robot and you could only sing like this and don't crack a smile because then we'll know we don't believe that you don't believe what you're singing. That's really what I was taught at one church. And then I went to a church that um, the people were saying, if you don't raise your hands, you don't love God. Well, there's a problem with that because some guys, like me, when when you get to a certain age and size, and you get into a building that's warm, you don't want to raise your arms because uh, you'll see things in the shirt. Do you get it? Some of you get it. And it's kind of tacky. And so you don't want to do that. Some people don't feel comfortable raising their hands. I've heard some lady, I'm not kidding, this lady said, if you don't get up and dance during worship, you don't love Jesus. That's not true. We have all these rules and regulations, and yet none of it has to do with us and where we put our hands. 
where our feet are. Basically, if God tells you to go, if God calls you to do something, and you don't have an understanding or logic, but you know God wants me to do this, then do it. Well, I mean, I don't mind raising my hands every now and then in worship, as my child loved to raise their hands for me to pick them up. That's what, God, I want to, I want you to just pick me up. I am needing of your closeness. Will you just wrap me? I want to lift up my hands and surrender to you. There was one time in, in, it was actually at a CIY. I was so overcome that I actually left our little area. I went in the back so nobody could see me. And I laid down on my face, flat down, because I wanted to get as low as I possibly could because I was not worthy of him. And in that moment, I had to do that. And that was awkward for me. I'll tell you that the carpet smelled bad, but I didn't care. I talked to one guy who, um, it was at the same night of worship, he got down on his knees and he stayed on his knees during the entire time praying and singing. He had a very bad knee and he could not get up. He was in pain the entire time, but you know what he said? I had to worship God. We can rationalize all kinds of ways out of doing things. I, my knees hurt. I, I, I don't want to kneel. It's a little warm in here. I don't want to raise my hands. We can rationalize all types of things. I, I just don't feel like singing today. I, I don't understand this stuff. I, I wasn't treated well this week. We can rationalize all kinds of reasons, but the wise men didn't do that. They took a step of faith. They left the comfort to go into the presence of God. They went to Herod to find this newborn king. They followed the sign. They went where it was illogical to go find the promise, the prophecy. But beyond that, they didn't know anything else. They came back. They, this proves they didn't know everything. They went to King Herod and said, where's the newborn baby? Where's this Messiah? They knew just a little bit, but they didn't know where to go. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith to go up to somebody and say, can you show me this king? Can you show me the Messiah? Can you lead me to that? Can you take that step of faith? Because as he calls the wise men, God has called each one of us. He's called each one of us to go on a journey that will cost us. But look what it gave them as well. Where are you willing to go in order to worship the Son of God? How do you display this in worship, this step of faith? These wise men didn't only just take a step of faith, but they also know true worship requires sacrifice. These days, back then, travel was expensive. I'm not sure what the the gas price for a gallon of hay was for the camels, Uh, But I don't think it was real cheap. Uh, Again, we don't know how many. I I was raised and taught there's only three guys on camels. But if these guys were really wealthy, they would have taken their attendants, possibly their family, bodyguards. This was a platoon of people. There was a large group. I've traveled with five, and I know how much five can eat on a vacation. Can you imagine this whole troop? And they didn't have restaurants like that, so they took food with them. 
which means more luggage. This last summer, uh, the youth group went on a trip, and I'm not saying who, but it was Brandon, took extra bags, and it caused a problem in the van. Brandon says, that's not a problem. I enjoyed it. Everybody else did. But there was a rule. Take how many bags? One. And he took one, and then a couple little ones, right? A book bag. Okay. But it was funny. Imagine a whole group taking more luggage than you want. For them, worship meant sacrifice. They were willing to sacrifice their time. They were willing to sacrifice their resources. They were willing to sacrifice their safety. They could not worship without giving because worship is costly. I think we've forgotten that. We've forgotten how costly worship really is. I, I've had the I've had the benefit to go to several different churches throughout my short life. To some of you, it's short. To some of you, you can't believe how old I really am. But I've looked at many, many church bulletins. Now, the old-fashioned way of a bulletin had everything listed on them. So we're going to open at this, and we're, this person's going to say this, and then we're going to turn to this page, and we're going to sing this song, and here are the verses we're going to sing. It's going to be one, two, and four. You always skip three for some reason. Okay? Our, the bulletin would do this, and, and there's lots of varieties. One bulletin I looked at was not like that, though. Um, it didn't have... Um, the hymn numbers and message. Instead, the program said, well, worship in song. That's all it said. We're going to worship in communion. Then we have our worship of giving, which was their offering. Then we had the worship in message. And then their announcement side said worship in services. And it had opportunities where you could serve in different areas. They also had it, we worship in prayer, and there was their prayer list. In other words, worship service for them was everything, was worship. I'll tell you, that was the best bulletin idea I've ever seen, that they turned everything as a focus of God-honoring worship. That church realized everything was part of spiritual worship. Together, they came to sacrifice to the worship of God. The wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a very proper gift for a king, right? Um, frankincense is a good gift for God. It's, it's uh, common for incense and smelling fragrance. Myrrh is the most unusual. It's a common embalming agent. It's a gift for a corpse. And here they gave a gift to honor God with the the gold. They gave a gift to worship him through the sacrifice of the myrrh, or um, the incense, sorry, the frankincense. But then they also gave the gift to worship his suffering in dying for us. In giving these gifts, they were demonstrating a prophetic understanding of who Jesus was, the reason he came, the king, the lamb of God would die on the cross. These are thoughtful, prophetic gifts. They're not last-minute gifts. They didn't think, what do I have lying around the house? They actually thought about them. 
and why they gave this. Isn't that the most important thing? I just saw a thing on Facebook that says, um, if you give me a gift that you handmade, don't apologize for it. Don't say, well, it's the, it's the best I could do. You actually made something for me out of your time and your resources. It's better than anything you could have bought at the store. Isn't that true? When you put real good thought into a gift, it shows how much you love and appreciate that other person. Imagine these wise men. They wanted to give the best. So in that, how do you give this in your worship? How do you give that sacrificial love and gift in worship to God? We're all talking, so many people are talking about the different gifts that they're going to give or they want to give, um, they want to get. One lady gave a list of top-tier gifts, okay? So I'm going to give you the top-tier gifts. And if you're able to give any of these gifts, please see me, okay? Okay, so here's the first one. Jaguar 220, it's a specific specialty car where only 220 were made. If you wanted one, if you want one, you have to put a down payment of 80000 down before they make it. During the time of delivery, before they can come, you have to pay the rest of the $500,000. So a total of $587,000. Can I get one? No, okay. But if you get this card, you might as well want to get new car wax for it, okay? This is Gold Rally, a Gold Rush Rally Wax made from Brazilian carnival wax hand-blended with actual gold shimmer. This wax will be delivered to you personally by the company's CEO. It comes in a titanium enclosure plated with pure 24 gold carat gold and encrusted with a mix of Swarkowski, whatever, I don't know how you say those, crystals, and 10 half-carat round-cut diamonds. It also has a fragrance added to it, so not only will your car look good, but it'll smell good. And this can all be yours for $86,000. It's this big. It doesn't matter, $86,000. Okay. So if you just bought this car and you're buying this wax, you need to go home and use a specific room in your in your house because you just spent a ton of money that you shouldn't and you're going to have to go to the bathroom, okay? After being pampered in your car, why not be pampered in the bathroom? How about this? Solid 24-karat gold toilet, which is estimated to be worth $5 million dollars. In fact, in case this isn't enough for you, there is a new toilet seat you can add to it, which is right there. It's a diamond-encrusted seat that contains 40,815 diamonds, which adds up to 334.68 carats, and that'll only cost you another $1.3 million. Guys, this does not count as a diamond ring. That's a lot of, <laughs> on a pot of gold. Okay, 
Okay, so these gifts are ridiculous, right? These gifts, I think they're ridiculous gifts for people who have way too much money and don't know what to do with it. There are going to be so many gifts given this Saturday, and they're probably not even going to come close to that kind of a gift. But are you willing to give God the gift of worship, which is costly, which is sacrificial? How much are you truly giving to God in worship? Are you coming in, and when you are actually worshiping, are you thinking of other things? Do you get distracted by the other events or by people or by um, happenings that happened to you that week? Do you come in here each week, barely sing any of the songs, sometimes listen to the sermon, go through the routine of communion? People spend thousands of dollars on Christmas presents for their friends and family. And yet when it comes to giving God the gift of worship, most Christians don't take time to even plan for it. They don't take time to invest in giving God what he truly worships or deserves. Giving God the gift of worship is costly. It means we need to put something into it. Like I heard a, I, I know I say this often, but we had these worship wars where people, well, this is the song I like. This is the song that means the most to me. And then somebody over here, well, I can't stand that song. These are the songs that means the most to me. And the whole question is, who are we focused on? When we think of those songs, we need to be focusing on God. Whether it's got a piano, an organ, or a full band, doesn't matter. Is God worth the worship of however we do it? Notice scripture doesn't say, sing a beautiful song. It says, make a joyful noise. I've heard some of you. It's noisy. But you know what we need more of in that? Joy. We need more of that joyful noise that elevates and lifts up and proclaims who God truly is. Not the perfect, harmonious choir sounds. True worship, cost, is costly. It'll have the element of sacrifice. True worship cost the early apostles and the early church. It cost them so much that they were persecuted and even killed. True worship cost missionaries of Christ untold suffering and loss as they spread the good news to people around the globe. True worship cost Christian martyrs of all age, of all ages, as they lived their lives for the sake of Christ. Are we going cheap? the gift of worship to God? Or are you giving it all? And I, I don't mean singing. I, I get I get teased and made fun of a lot because I sing loud. I, I, I know I do. Um, Jen's been up here and she says, I hear you over the speakers up here. I, I sing loud. I don't care if you hear me or not. I get made fun of that because I just want to sing to God. There was a guy in another church named Tom who can't sing at all. Like, it, it, it's horrible sounding. Um, a dying cat being flung across the wall would make a better sound than him. And yet he sang just as loud as I did. It cost him more than it cost me. 
because it cost him more ridicule. He was singing for God. He was worshiping. Worship is not about the songs, though. Tom could not carry a song, but he had the attitude of worship. It's a mindset. The best form of worship I've heard in a long time actually comes from an illustration of a, of a kid's Christmas program. A woman told about the play their church put on each year. She said, my younger daughter, Jaina, was excited about her part. She was so excited about her part, but she wouldn't tell me. I thought for sure the way she was so excited that she must have one of the main roles. She was so excited when we get there and, and all their kids go run on stage, go behind and get dressed. And she's waiting to see her daughter come out. One by one, the children come out onto the stage and take their places. And there was the shepherds in one little corner fidgeting. She said, I saw Mary and Joseph standing solemnly behind the manger. But my daughter was not to be found. Then all of a sudden, her daughter came and sat down quietly with the biggest smile, and she just sat there. Teacher began, a long time ago, Mary and Joseph had a baby, and they named him Jesus. And when Jesus was born, a bright star appeared over the stable, and right on cue, my daughter jumped up and grabbed a stick that had a star, and she stood over the manger, waving the star just a little bit. When the teacher told about the shepherds and the angels and the, and the glory of all of that, she went over to the shepherds, the visiting shepherds, and she marched triumphantly, leading them back to Jesus. And then it went to the, the wise men, and again, she went over into the wise men and led them to Jesus. Her face was brighter than what the star that she was carrying. On the way home, she said, uh, you did a great job. I'm very proud of you. And she said, I had the main part. And the mom was kind of perplexed. Why, why do you think that? Because I show everybody how to find Jesus. That little girl knew more about worship right there than so many of us do. Worship is about honoring God and showing others how to get to him. Worship is not the songs. It's a lifestyle. All this week, Christmas season culminates on Saturday. All week long, people are going to be talking about the gifts they bought, the gifts they haven't bought, and the gifts they wish they could buy. We can give God the gift of worship, but it's not just today. We can give God the gift of worship every day. It's not the songs. It's not about even the sweater or a sweatshirt or a tie. It's not about what I prefer or what you want. It's all about what God is worth. The word worship that comes into our English vernacular actually comes from the Greek words and Latin words that means worth it. We're supposed to give God what he is worth. That's what it means. We should worship who he is, honor him. We're having a special time set aside that for this very purpose on Friday night, on Christmas Eve. A time where we, we come together, and the, the whole purpose is not to add another thing to your calendar. And I have told people this before. If you have family things first, that comes before church events, okay? So just know I am not trying to make you feel guilty. Your family should come over church. 
But the purpose of Christmas Eve service is to stop. To stop the hustle and bustle. To stop the focus on the gifts and the trees and the food. To stop the focus on us. To stop and just look at Jesus who came to honor him because he chose to leave heaven to save us. It cost him dearly. It cost him, and because of that, we should worship him. So let go of uh, requirements and obligations to thank God for stepping into humanity to offer a sinless life to pay the punishment for our sins. And because of that, shouldn't we worship him all the more? Well, we don't have to wait till Friday night. Let's commit to living a life of real worship, not an hour set aside on a Sunday morning in a building, but a life of real worship that shows steps of faith, that shows sacrificial giving. Listen to the scripture again, John 4, 23. But the time is coming, and indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. Scripture just says it. God the Father is looking for people who will truly worship Him. Will God find you? God, we come before you, Lord, as we we look into this gift of giving God worship, as we look into giving you what you are truly worth. Lord, we thank you that we who eternally don't mean anything compared to your purity, compared to your holiness, that you gave us your gift, you gave us your righteousness, you gave us your purity. And so, Lord, as we gather around right now, we thank you. We we proclaim you are worth it. And help it to be more than just a phrase in the lips or an outstretched hand. May it also be one of a lifestyle of one that proclaims who you are, who lives out a worship life, whether we're driving on in backed-up traffic, whether we're in a lane at the grocery store, Wherever we are, we can lift up our life as an act of worship. Because, God, you truly are worth it. Amen.